This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of December 11th. 2023 we are heading toward the end of the hearts wild card sector but before we get into our games let's check in with my co-host emily how you doing <laughs> oh i i am not i'm not doing it is <laughs> no, it is advent pastor <laughs> how it, you doing it, it is advent and all of the normal advent things are happening and then the universe decided to send me a number of other things also. <laughs> My car is not working. There's some health insurance nonsense. It's a whole scene. But hey, I, I feel like I shouldn't be too much of a downer. So my church became <laughs> officially welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ plus people. That is Just, awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. They've always been a very welcoming community. But, you know, it's... It's taken a while for this, you know, small, predominantly older congregation to get to the point of being like, oh, yeah, we should make that official. Uh, We should get on the same page about that. So I'm proud of them. They're great. Looking forward to Christmas. Looking forward to going to Disney World after Christmas like a crazy person. That is swiftly approaching. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I'm doing okay. I just kind of keep it on not not a lot to report here got some job leads i am forever hopeful that by january 1st i will have some kind of good news back in may i was like hopefully by you know july or august and then it's just pushed back every month so at this point january 1st is like the well hope that works out so i have had some good feedback which has helped to make things tolerable yeah good (laughs) so yeah so that's us we're you know gearing up for the holidays too and the kids are out of school now and they're very excited and they're at a they're at a good age for holidays because they get like you know the genuine magic and excitement of stuff so yeah nice it's it's good anyway let's get to jeopardy and i just like last week news is coming out again we are forever indebted to andy at the jeopardy fan because he he is the one breaking these stories and like keeping us informed so everything that i am saying i am getting from there i am directly not trying from to there. take his, yeah yeah no, like, no original reportage here absolutely not go like go support the jeopardy fan because he's doing the real work really mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um but uh there's gonna be another champions wild card in january mm-hmm. i apparently Every champion from the seasons that they are drawing from down to one day champions will have a chance to compete. And in order to narrow it down to the number, the 54 spots, apparently the lowest ranked one day champions have to compete in play in games in order to qualify and they won't be aired and they won't have any prize and money. So these are just like qualifying matches. Yeah. It's this. It, it's innovative. Different. <laughs> yes, it is changing the approach to Jeopardy. I don't mean to like cast aspersions about anybody. You know, uh, like the difference between a one-day champion and myself is the fact that 
I got lucky enough to get final jeopardies that I could get correct or, or whatever. Right. Like it's, there's a very small difference. It's not, I, I, I don't, I don't want to play like, well, you know, the number that you win is a clear indication of your knowledge or ability level. It's like, there's a lot of, there are a lot of, a lot of luck factors that go into it. Yep. And sometimes you lose in one when, if you'd been up against a different set of contestants or there'd been one different category or you got the daily double instead of someone else or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of, lots of very small things outside of your control. So I'm not saying that about one game winners, but like, I just, there was something special about reaching the threshold. You know what I mean? To be Mm -hmm. invited back to the show. And I feel like this is overkill. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) And maybe I just need to process it a little bit more and deal with my own feelings. Yeah. I mean, it's up to them how they want to run their show, but I don't know. Uh, the the idea that like every single person who has entered the studio under Mike Davies administration is a is is a special darling who must get another opportunity <laughs> and the rest of us are just forgotten like who that um, I guess because there is there's also going to be second chance for for non-winners right yes <laughs> yeah like I've, I think this is maybe my third or fourth time saying this on the podcast. It's dumb, but also I would like to participate. Right. Know? And so it, it stings that they're like every single person from, from uh, since the new executive producer has to be given an opportunity to return at like season 35, like Mariah Carey, I don't know her dot GIF. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, James Holzhauer was some kind of like nebulous, you know, comet that emerged from the past and everything else is just gone. Erasing right? everything before him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but Ken, Ken doesn't exi- Ken doesn't exist in the contestant space anymore, so it doesn't right, matter. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I, I I'm having a hard time. To- like, it's fine. It's Jeopardy, right? Watching the shows is fine because it's like there are three people answering questions. I get to do trivia there. Some of the games are really enjoyable to watch. That's fine. All like the, the, the core element of watching Jeopardy as a viewer to me is like, OK, it's fine. But as someone who like is kind of part of the community as we are, right, like we mm-hmm. we choose to be a part of this. It's like you really need to get back to what jeopardy normally is i'm i am concerned how do i word this michael davies has said many times that he views that he says that he believes jeopardy is a sport right it should be mm-hmm. it should be treated like a sport there you know should have playoffs should have you know statistics that are following which are cool i, I like that that you're you know able to look at all of the stats from yeah. the game like that's yeah, that's, that's cool i i, I like all of that stuff I'm I'm concerned that part of that bleeds over into making a spectacle of it. Mm, yeah. And like constantly trying to make something something that is like grabby and and flashy. Mm-hmm. But like I, I I don't know. I think if you if you look at sports, it's always the same thing. And it's not it's not the new things that make people enjoy it. It's the understanding of what it is that make people enjoy it. Mhm. Right. Like, yeah, if you don't if you don't like baseball, it's probably because you think it's boring. If you do like baseball, you don't find it boring because you know what to look for. You know what to watch. You know what is exciting and what is like really impressive. If you don't like football, it's probably because you just don't know what to watch for. 
but if you do know football, then you know what's exciting. You know what a good play is. You know what to to see and get excited about. Mm-hmm. Same thing yeah. with Jeopardy. It's not it's not about having a whole bunch of people that we've seen before come back. It's not about having high stakes tournaments. It's not about all of that. It's it's about the sh- like the fundamentals of the show that people enjoy. Yeah. And and I think that right now there is just doing way too much to try and make a big spectacle. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, mm-hmm. we should we should yeah, we, we should, should talk about the games because yeah. there were mm-hmm. some really good games this week. Yeah, there were great games this week. Yeah. All right. So on Monday, December 11th, the last of the Hearts quarterfinals, we have the contestants Emma Salzberg, a campaigns director from Brooklyn, New York, Dinesh Ollier, a de- marketing director from Los Angeles, California, and Amal Durai, a venture capital de- investor from San Francisco, California. Jeopardy round categories are Got Your Name Tag, It's the Geneva Convention, The Music of Canada, Hydrology, Circle Time, and F-Stop. All correct responses end with the letter F. Amal put in the work on the U.S. presidents, which is always fruitful. In Got Your Name Tag at the $1,000 level, oops, they left off your last name. That's okay, Mr. 10th President. Everyone knows it's this. And the name tag just said, hello, my name is John. Mm -hmm. And uh, Amal recalled that that was John Tyler. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Got to know your presidents. You You do. Yep. By number, by years. By by name. (laughs) By name. Know their middle names and which ones don't have a middle. It's just S. Stanford and like, you know, all that, all that stuff. That's that's going to come up. It's worth memorizing. Yes, it's a very clear list and there's a lot to draw from it. So mm-hmm. it's a good good one to start with. That's that's where I started with my study was presidents. Because mm-hmm. as you study the presidents, you also study American history, which right. also comes up a lot because really most of trivia is history. Yeah. It's just about a specific thing in history, right? So there, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, a good, it's a good starting place to branch out from. <laughs> $200 level of Got Your Name Tag. Here you go, Mr. Winner of this decisive 1805 naval battle. Amal guessed what is Waterloo, which is tricky because it has water in the name, but it is not a Waterloo is not a naval battle. It was a land battle. Also, I believe much later than 1805. Uh, but Dinesh got the, the rebound with the Battle of Trafalgar because uh, I talked about it in a deep dive. Mm-hmm. Daily double number one is in hydrology at the $600 dollar level. It's pick number seven and Amal finds it. Uh, he's at 4,600. Uh, Donash and Emma are tied at zero and he wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. The gradual movement of water through porous openings in rock or soil. It's also a way to make coffee and he gets that correct. It is percolate or percolation. Yes. So at the end of the jet Jeopardy round, Amal's at 8,600, Donesh is at 4,600, Emma's at 2,200, and the double Jeopardy categories are The Country's Unknown Soldier, Director's First Features, The Seven Deadly Synonyms, Home on the Range, Arts, and Crafts. Crafts was like like vehicles, like water and air crafts. Crafts, yes. Yeah. Dinesh had a tough miss at the $800 level of Arts. Mozart Serenade mm-hmm. number 13 in G major has this nickname that includes the time of day it was intended for. Dinesh guesses what is night, which is the time of day, but Emma got the rebound because it's a little night music. Yes. Eine kleine Nachtmusik. Mm-hmm. I am surprised that the $2,000 level of crafts was 
consider to be a $2,000 level question. Jason and his band of heroes sailed on this ship while in search of the Golden Fleece. That is the Argo. Emma got it. And I just feel like that comes up a lot. I, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, I, I don't know if it's one of the like most common like stories in, that we go over in Greek mythology, but it's definitely not a deep cut. Right. I, yeah. I don't think I agree. I don't think it's a $2,000 level. Yeah. That being said, the rest of the clues were not any harder. So I don't know where else I would have put it in the category yeah, with the other enough. clues. But but yeah, I agree. It, it didn't seem to match the level. Mm-hmm. Home on the range was all about, I guess, things that you can cook on a, on a range, mm-hmm. a, sto- a stovetop. The $2,000 level, one of the mother sauces, brown sauce, also goes by this more sophisticated ethnic name. That is Espanol. Amal got that one. And we did a, we did a deep dive about... Escoffier and the mother sauces. Um, you did, yes. yeah. That was that was a fun one. And then I like the fact that the eight hundred dollar level. This creamy pasta te- pasta dish was created in the in the early nineteen hundreds. The Italian chef created it for his wife, but put his own first name on it. That is fettuccine Alfredo. Emma got that one. And I guess like earlier in my life, I always assumed that Alfredo maybe was Italian for one of the ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> it's just named for Alfred. Yeah. Similarly with nachos, named after yeah. Ignacio, you know, yeah. whoever whoever it was who like I think I think that he was like like a restaurant worker who like nachos were like a thing he would throw together like for the back of the house, you know, like the cooks mm-hmm. and stuff and it became a thing. Yeah. That's the that's the story I've heard. I, I haven't fact checked it. Yeah, uh-huh. I've heard that in numerous places, but also, yeah, haven't fact checked. Yeah. All right, Daily Double number two is in the arts category. It's at the $1,600 level. Pick number eight, and Amal uncovers it. He is at 10,600. Dinesh is at 7,800. Emma's at 3,800. He wagers 3,000, gets a clue. The full title of this modernist Stravinsky ballet includes pictures from pagan Russia in two parts. And Amal guesses a Russian ballet and says, what is Swan Lake? But that's not a Stravinsky one, and it is, in fact, the Rite of Spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is at the $1,200 level of the Seven Deadly Synonyms. Pick number 18. Emma finds this one. She's at 9,000 with Amal at 10,800 and Dinesh at 11,000. Really tightly bunched and she wagers 2,000. And she gets the clue pride synonym paired with the id in a Freud title. And she gets it correct. It is ego. Ego. Uh, so it's a pretty close game going into Final Jeopardy. Maul's at 11,200, Dinesh is at 12,600, and Emma is at 15,000. The Final Jeopardy category is 20th century literature, and the clue is Thomas Pynchon wrote that this novelist in 1948 understood that despite the Axis defeat, fascism had not gone away. Amal got it correct with who is Orwell uh, and wagered everything, went up to 22,400. Dinesh wrote who is Roth. That is incorrect. Wagered everything and drops to zero. And Emma also got it correct with who is Orwell. Wagered a cover bet of 10,201. So Emma moves on to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to Tuesday. We have the contestants Henry Bear, a software engineer from San Francisco, California. Julia Markham Cameron, an attorney from Brooklyn, New York. And Gary Hollis, a chemistry professor from Roanoke, Virginia. And the Jeopardy categories are Have You Eight? That's like the number eight. Auto Racing, Black Mystery and Crime Fiction, 
animals. Sounds kind of iffy with IFF in quotation marks, and I'm absolutely sure. I don't get the, the title of I'm absolutely sure, other than... These are things that are these correct. These are facts. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like... <laughs> I was trying the rest of the board. <laughs> like I was trying to find a connection, something punny, something in the background of the clues. I, I have no idea what the connection is, if there is a connection. But it's like they didn't want to are... put hodgepodge. They knew yeah, it would or, bother or you. Potpourri. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. It's like it, good. I'm glad you're sure. I like you should be sure of all of these. Yeah, it really is just a potpourri category. Yeah, Julia had some enjoyable moments over the course of this show. I thought. And in particular, I was amused by the $1,000 level of black mystery and crime fiction. The clue was the name of this underworld author of Mama Black Widow and Pimp inspired the ice part of Ice-T's stage name. And Julia responded, who is Iceberg Slim? It was correct. And then she said, oh, my God, I just said Iceberg Slim on TV. <laughs> <laughs> she may That may be a new, unique one. I don't know if that's ever been a correct Jeopardy response before. That, and you know, I don't know. I, I haven't checked. We can... It does appear in J-Archive twice. However, it was in the clue. Got it. Okay. And so it was the opposite. Tracy Morrow is the real name of this rap singer whose stage name is a tribute to the novelist Iceberg Slim. Ah, uh, gotcha. So okay. she is, the, I believe, the only contestant to say uh-huh. Iceberg Slim. Yep. Way Good to for pull you, it, Julia. Yeah. Nice. Uh, reversal for Gary at the $800 level of sounds kind of iffy. The first T in GAT their taxes one nation puts on goods imported from another. He responded, what is tariff? That was ruled correct. But then before the first daily double, they reversed it because in the acronym GATT, G-A-T-T, it is tariffs. That is extremely specific. It is extremely specific. The clue does specify the first T in GATT. They are taxes. So it is like the clue is plural. It does specifically point to the acronym like I'm not sure I agree with writing that question that way. Yeah. So that you have to make it plural. But I I can see that the clue at least specified that it needed to be plural. Yeah. But I still was like, oh, that sucks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Daily double number one is in have you eight at the $600 level. It's only pick number five. So it's pretty early. Gary finds it. He is at 600, Julie is at zero, Henry's at 1,000, and he says very clearly that he's going to make it a true daily double and wager 600, which I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It gets the clue, the eight ranks in this eight-letter biological classification system start with domain and end with species. And he guesses what is the binomial system, but that is taxonomy, which I need to do some research on because the way, I don't know, it seemed to me like the clue was asking for a specific classification system, mm-hmm. whereas... The term taxonomy has just come to mean like scientific classi- classifical yeah. like classification system. Like it's kind of synonymous with that. Yeah. So I, I don't maybe it comes from there and we've just turned it into something more. But yeah, he ended up losing 600. Not a big deal because yeah. it's early on. Yeah, I knew exactly what he meant by binomial system, right? Like the mm-hmm. like the genus species or whatever that is like, right. you know, two name. Two names, know. yeah. And like there are certain ones where like it's fun to know that like because it's the only, I guess, like species in that. Like, I, I don't remember exactly how it works, right? But for, for gorilla, the scientific name is Gorilla Gorilla. And like, uh-huh. that's funny. Uh, and, you know, like a fun fact to have 
so like I knew like I was like oh binomial system is something else but like I I get exactly where he was coming from with like oh yeah that thing where you have the two names yeah. binomial anyway yeah at the end of the Jeopardy round Gary's up to thirty eight hundred Julie's at forty four hundred Henry's at forty eight hundred it's very close double Jeopardy categories are yes I've eaten E T O N as in the prep school whatever mm-hmm. uh, Seinfeld before and after Anatomy with E in quotation marks sticky stuff. McPeople and Words of Peace. $1,600 level of Words of Peace, Spaceship on Firefly, or a mm. State of Peace. That's Serenity. Serenity. Moment of silence for Serenity. Amen. Oh, <laughs> um, yep, okay. <laughs> uh, also, moment of silence for my admiration for Joss Whedon. <laughs> right. I know, right? Like, oh man, it sucks. But ah. just like any other, just like any other, we can separate the creation from the creator. Mm-hmm. In I, most cases. I mean, in most cases, sure. There were, I, there were certain auteurs whose, whose work I will not consume because I feel like it's too, too intertwined. Okay. Uh, I, but, I, okay. That, that's fair. But yeah. I, I like, I always end up going back to like the Wagner thing yeah of like yeah wagner sucked and so when we talk about wagner we just make clear that he sucked yep but also his music was really good yeah and still is and was very important and impactful yep totally get that i think it also it makes a difference once they're dead i oh i agree totally too right absolutely because once they're dead they kind of like it's like they're gone now. They can't hurt you anymore. Kind of thing. Yeah. Like they're they're dead, so they're not going to add to the impact of their harm. Yep. Right. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. Their work, their their legacy can still, I guess, cause harm. But uh, yeah, I agree. There's something yeah. something about them being dead that it's like, okay, now we can do the work of separating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate triple stumper, triple miss at the $800 level of yes, I've eaten. Mm-hmm. As a student at Eaton, he did not have his own laptop computer despite being second in line to the British throne. And I think, I wonder if maybe the contestants got tripped up on like, is the first in line the current monarch? Right. <laughs> or is the first in line the the heir, the number one heir, right? Maybe, I don't know. Because Gary rang in and said, who is Prince Harry? And then Henry followed up with, who is Prince Charles? And then Julia wondered if maybe Henry had just worded it wrong and said, who is the current King Charles? And all of those are incorrect. And it was Prince William during the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. So Prince Charles was first in line and prince william was second mm-hmm. i learned at the two thousand dollar level of anatomy that the eustachian tube is named for an italian anatomist who knew not me who knew i don't know because it's not capitalized a lot of things are capitalized when they're named for people yeah true daily double number one is at the sixteen hundred dollar level of mick people pick number 13 and julia finds this one She's at 4,400 with Gary at 8,600 and Henry at 5,600. If she wagers everything and gets it right, she will take the lead, but she doesn't wager quite quite everything. She wagers 4,000. And she gets the clue, today an asteroid bears the name of this New Hampshire teacher. And she can't come up with it. She ends up saying, who is McGill? Um, Mm -hmm. But this is Krista McAuliffe, who... The, the teacher who was selected to, you know, to be one of the astronauts on the Challenger and died in that disaster. Yeah. 
and daily double number three is at pick number 16 at the $2,000 level of Words of Peace. Gary finds this one also. He's at 10,200. Julia is down at 1,600, and Henry is at 5,600. He wagers 3,000. The clue is when the eagle landed in 1969, this 11 letter word of peace was mentioned. And he gets it correct with what is tranquility? Yeah, so. Gary ends up running away with this at the end of the Double Jeopardy round. He's at a $20,800 lock position. Henry's in second at 9600 and Julia is has made it. She was in the red, struggled a little bit, made it back up out of the red, and she's at 800 yeah. The final Jeopardy category is American literature, and the clue is chapter 100 of this novel introduces the one-armed Captain Boomer of the Samuel Enderby. They all get it correct. Julia, Julia is the first contestant that they come to and she has responded what is Moby Dick and has a little smiley face she wagered everything so she'll go up to 1600 Henry responded what is Moby Dick with an exclamation point yeah I was like <laughs> is it does is that in the title I don't think so yeah he wagered 1234 that's fun he goes up to 10834 I guess he just, I think he just picked a fun number here. It doesn't matter. It's double Yeah, it's a lock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. And like, Julia can't catch him, like, you know. And Gary wrote, what is Moby Dick? And thanks, mom. That's nice. And he wagered 12 bucks. Moby Dick actually has a hyphen, so they all got it wrong. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter on Jeopardy. But yeah, it's it's Moby Dick with a little hyphen in between the two words. Mm. Weirdly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, like you said, Gary moves on to the finals. We uh, move on to Wednesday when we have semifinal number two with the contestants Ed Colson, an economics and real estate professor from Dana Point, California, Emma Salzberger Campaigns, director from Brooklyn, New York, and Tyler Vandenberg, a Marine officer currently serving in Stuttgart, Germany. We have the Jeopardy round categories, science, Western TV shows, Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, Name that car maker, slang for liquor, and look up in the sky, it's... Which was another category that the contestants read the entire name of, like, every time they called a clue. So it's like, look up in the sky, it's 800. <laughs> <laughs> Which always threw me off, because I was like, why, why are you saying it that way? Mm-hmm. But I don't... I, I, it hasn't really bothered me up until recently when contestants say, like, the full, long category title. The... To me, and kind of a strange triple stumper at the slang for liquor $400 level, Lewis Carroll coined chortle by combining chuckle and this word. I mean, if you just kind of figure out the word, it's snort. And if you happen to know that he created the word chortle by combining chuckle and snort, then you would know that too. I wonder if the contestants were all trying to go through like liquor terms and yeah. try to get to the one that fit. Even though I knew somewhere in my brain that it was chuckle and snort, I think I dismissed that because I have not heard that as a slang term for liquor. And so I was like, oh, that must be wrong. I think I've heard it, but but I mean, it's it's way down there on the list. So if you're going through terms for liquor, you're not going to get there in five seconds. Yeah. We also had a big triple stumper at the $400 level of science, ocean sediment may be made up of coccolithophores, these tiny organisms, 6 billion to the square foot. Emma guesses what are plankton. Ken asks her to be more specific. She says no. Tyler gets in and says what are phytoplankton. Ken says, can you be even more specific than that? And Tyler says no. <laughs> Ken offers for Ed to ring in and he says not a chance. Algae. <laughs> They're yeah. looking for algae. Mm-hmm. Tyler really knows his, his car makers. He, yeah, he did well. Yeah. yeah. 
Four out of the five for Tyler. Ed got in on one. A daily double number one is in science at the $600 level. Pick number 23. Ed finds this one. Uh, he's at 4,000 with Tyler at 3,400 and Emma at 2,600. He, I don't know if he's not confident or if he doesn't want to risk dropping way down or like what, um, but he wagers just 1,000. And he gets the clue during an epidemic of this disease in 1796, Edward Jenner discovered the power of vaccines and used it to save lives. We've talked about this on the podcast, but he doesn't get it correct. He guesses what is cholera, but it is smallpox. Edward Jenner, smallpox. That should be a Pavlov. And cholera is not something we have a vaccine for, right? I mean, we have... we have like antibiotics. We understand it. We know how not to spread it. Right. <laughs> it's important to keep sewage out of the water, basically. <laughs> yeah. And and we have it we have treatment, you know, but but yeah, we don't I don't think we vaccinate for that one. No. At, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Tyler is at forty eight hundred, Emma is at twenty six hundred, Ed is at thirty six hundred, and the double Jeopardy categories are French connections. Who's the misses? Your day in court with C in quotation marks. It was an Olympic year. Oscar Meyer Wiener. They will need a first and last name for all of these responses and adjectives with a hyphen in there. $1,600 level of Oscar Meyer Wiener. We had a a process of elimination. This industrialist's (laughs) son, Solomon, founded a famous New York City museum. Ed tried, who is Oscar Guggenheim? You know, he'd figured out that the, you know, it's a Solomon Guggenheim, the Guggenheim Museum, but didn't remember Guggenheim's first name. And that was incorrect. And so then Tyler got the rebound with Meyer Guggenheim. Mm-hmm. He I, he may never have known the first name, but, you know, Ken, Ken quips that it's, you know, it's certainly not Wiener Guggenheim. So, <laughs> I mean, you never know. I don't, I don't know. know. Can't, yeah. can't assume with a name like Guggenheim. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More more quipping at the $800 level of who's the missus. The clue, it's Garth Brooks. Emma tried who is Faith Hill. And <laughs> Ken accused her of starting scandals. Yeah. <laughs> because Faith Hill is married to Tim McGraw. Garth Brooks' wife is Trisha Yearwood. This is how rumors start. Daily double number two is in It Was an Olympic Year at the $1,200 level. Pick number 12. This category I had a surprisingly hard time with. I was like constantly off by four years hmm. anyway emma uncovers it she's at 5800 tyler is at 6800 ed is at 4400 she wagers 1200 and gets the clue mckinley wins term one and the supreme court rules on plessy versus ferguson and she gets corrected with what is it, 1896 which was the first modern games Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is at the $1,200 level of your day in court. It's pick number 22 and Ed finds it. He's at 8400 with Tyler at 15200 and Emma at 7000 He wagers 6000 and he gets the clue. This effort to boot a juror can be peremptory or for cause. He can't come up with anything, but it is a challenge. And so Ed mm-hmm. has lost... 7,000 on his two daily doubles. Rough break. Rough break indeed, because that was his chance to really challenge. So going into final Jeopardy, Tyler is at 18,400. Emma is in reach at 10,600. And Ed is down at Mm 2,800. Final Jeopardy category is movie musicals. And the clue of the musicals to win an Oscar for Best Picture, one of the two with one word titles based on and named for literary characters. There's a lot of words to parse there. Mm Mm-hmm. But they all got it correct, and they got both of the of the movies. 
Ed got it correct with what is Shishi? Hmm. And he wagered everything going to 5,600. Emma wrote what is Oliver? And wagered 10,600, which is everything going up to 21,200. Tyler should have been ruled incorrect because he wrote what is Oliver exclamation mark, which is not in the form of a question. Mm-hmm. Because there's no question mark. <laughs> But need an interrobang yeah. there. Exact, exactly. <laughs> Just like, although a backward interrobang, because isn't the question mark usually before the... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He gets it correct. He moves on to the finals. That's right. And so that brings us to Thursday. Our contestants are Andrew Chaikin, a musician and teacher from San Francisco, California. Cheng Wang, a deputy public defender originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. And Garrett Marcotte, a software engineer from Boulder, Colorado. And the Jeopardy round categories are in the footsteps of history. Tennessee Williams, that is Tennessee like of tennis. Yeah. Not the state. Literature, state of the college. It's all relative and a proverbial mess. Which were mixed up proverbs. Mm -hmm. And I believe Yangshan got all of them? He did. Not in order. So it wasn't, he didn't run the category, but he did get every single one of those. Mm-hmm. He did a couple things over the course of this game where I was like, does he listen to our podcast? Such as? Well, okay. So it's all relative. In 1917, he founded Boys Town in Omaha, open to boys of all races mm-hmm. and religions. He responded to his father, Damien, but it was Father Flanagan. You, you've talked about both <laughs> I've talked of about those. both of those you've fathers both, on the podcast. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. So there was, there was part of me that wondered there i was like "Mm." mixing up my deep dives yeah Uh, i i mean to be honest if i had to name another father if i knew it was like father something i don't know that i could yeah i think those are the only two names that i associate so Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe maybe he does yeah he does you know let us know we maybe you know we'll have you on if you want to come on the show it's been a while since we've had a guest it's true things have been things have been tough so yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that at some point yep the state of the college i felt very very at home good um, i did not <laughs> oh okay it was tough for the contestants too the thousand dollar level was a tr- triple stumper the Campbell fighting camels are, f- are from the <laughs> are from near the cape fear river in this state yungsheng guessed what is maine garrett guessed what is florida andrew didn't guess you got to Split the difference there. That's North Carolina. That's where Cape Fear is. That's yeah, the only I d- way I, I did it. know that one because of the movie Cape Fear. I don't know. I lived in Virginia for a few years as a kid. And yeah, so, we so that's near enough. Th- yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with the college, but but remembered it from from that from 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 that film. Yeah, the eight hundred dollar level Tufts is a centerpiece of Medford in this state. The only reason I knew that is because I see Medford and I'm like, oh, it's it's pronounced like Medford. Yeah. So I know it's Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Six hundred. I, <laughs> I hope so. Six hundred dollar level. My alma mater, Muncie, in this state is home to Ball State University. Go Cardinals! Chirp chirp. That's Indiana. Andrew got it. And then Wayne State is in Michigan. And if you spend time living in you know Muncie, Indiana, then you learn about Michigan because a lot of people go there to have fun. Mm, yeah because you're in muncie <laughs> so anyone goes anywhere and then the, the 200 hundred dollar level weber state is near a great lake in this state 
Andrew guessed what is Michigan, but that's the Great Salt Lake. It's in Utah. It was a triple stumper too. In college, I went to the University of Northern Colorado, go Bears. And we are conference rivals of Weber State. So when we our marching band took the one trip of the year that we take, we went to our football game at Weber State. And we have a good relationship with the Weber State band. Mm-hmm. Or at least we did. That was, oh, 14 years ago. <laughs> 15 years ago. Oh, God. Anyway, we did have a good relationship with the Weber State band. Weber State, Weber State, great, great, great. That one was a triple stumper. And I, I sort of wonder if they didn't think through that, like, Great Lake would be a, like, a mislead there. Maybe they did, but it is in quotation marks. And we don't call True. it Great Lake Michigan or Great Lake Superior, right? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Daily Double number one is pick number three very early. It's in the footsteps of history at $600 level. Garrett finds it. He's at 1800 Yangsheng is at negative 1000 and Andrew is at zero. And he bets it all. Gets the clue. Starting at the Boston Common and ending at the Bunker Hill Monument is this two-word path. Garrett guesses what is the Minuteman Trail, but it is the Freedom Trail. So he drops to zero, which, as Ken reminds him, that's okay, you're tied for the lead. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Garrett is at 2,400, Young Shen is at 5,400, and Andrew is at 2,000. Double Jeopardy categories are Brownian Notions, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, the Sea's Bounty, A Matter of Life or Death, Life and Death in quotation marks, Hell, and High Water. Every time Andrew called a category in Hell, he really just milked it. He was like, Hell for 800 or whatever. Yeah. Like, he, he just, mm-hmm. I don't know if he enjoyed it or if he had to, like, steal himself. Yeah. My daughter has gotten very hung up on which words are curse words and like the exact ranking of which curse word is the worst curse word. It's, it's important. Yeah. So yeah, her teacher is the is the director of a bunch of the grade level school musicals. So she was directing the, the sixth grade musical, which was Matilda. And so, you know, the whole class is now obsessed with Matilda because their teacher is the director of Matilda and the sixth graders are doing it. And so like, Whoa. you know, during... During like little, you know, brain breaks and, you know, choice times, like they take turns, you know, getting to pick a song to put on and somebody Mm. picked a song from Matilda (gasps) uh, and the song apparently had the phrase like hell, at which point the second graders collectively lost their minds and the teacher had to like run and turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that doesn't go away as the kids get older. Like, we'll be watching something. I, I mean, at a certain point, I think, like, if it's just, like, all seniors. But, like, I was in a, you know, I taught high school. And so I was like, they're high schoolers. It's nothing they've never heard before or literally said out loud in my classroom. Right. Like, to each other or me. So, it like, it it'll be fine. And if I feel like I need to get a permission slip, okay, great. But, like, I showed, you know, like a the Netflix documentary about Quincy Jones, which is awesome, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's not like, you know, censored or edited. And he spends time talking to like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and like, a, like people who just cuss. Yeah. Right. And he does too. And so they just like, it's there. And the first time the F word came out, like every kid in the room was like, oh, what Mr. I'm like, come on. 
mm-hmm. stop. Like I, mm-hmm. I have heard you for years. Like, don't act like this is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I am like, I'm clergy. So people apologize for cussing in front of me. Uh huh. Yeah. There are certain things you don't talk about around the pastor and certain things you don't say uh-huh. because they're not people. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and like, get all shocked when I cuss, but also it can be like, especially like powerful coming from me, you know? Exactly, because it's like, no, oh my, oh my goodness. Like, it's it's very validating if you're in a really bad situation. I mean, it, or if, if I'm talking to somebody who is in a very bad situation, and I'm mm-hmm. like, the way that they're treating you is, am I going to cuss on the podcast? But like, but like dropping, dropping a couple of well-placed curse words to like Mm -hmm. express my sympathy and my outrage on someone's behalf is like especially effective because like they don't expect it from a pastor, much like, much like kids don't expect it from a teacher. Right. Um, Right. But then there's some, sometimes there are people who like, it seems like not using cuss words is like their primary moral thing. And like, Uh I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't either. I don't. There are so many things in the world that are actually harmful and i don't understand people who are like you know racism fine sexism fine you know bombing civilians whatever cussing absolutely not yeah (laughs) um my moral compass is very clear (laughs) it makes me so confused yeah yeah this round went wild garrett was kind of out of it it, it was really a, mm-hmm. a, a contest between andrew and young Sheng. yeah uh, I'm, I'm gonna like spoil a little bit andrew found both daily doubles pretty mm-hmm. early in the round which put him in a significant lead and then young Sheng would like he got one two three four f- i guess he got four of the six two thousand dollar clues and he went just like right across them in a line yeah after, because they were still after daily double two exactly because they were still there and he was like i guess it's go time <laughs> like, and he just he just went Somebody for it just it was, turned his buzzer on <laughs> like, it yeah was, it was very yeah. cool it, it yeah. was fun to watch it was it was incredible to watch i really i really enjoyed that daily double number two was in that hell category we were just riffing on it was at the twelve hundred dollar level pick number eight and andrew found it as he found both of them he was at seventy six hundred at this point with garrett at twenty four hundred and young sheng at seven thousand he made it made it a true daily double and he got the clue milton used this word for the capital of hell now it means wild confusion and that one is pandemonium he knew it Mm -hmm. and then two clues later he finds daily double number three at the two thousand dollar level of brownian notions uh so he's just moved up a bunch he's at fifteen thousand two hundred now against garrett's twenty four hundred and young shen's seven thousand and he wagers another five thousand gets the clue she ran vanity fair and the daily beast but said i don't see myself as an editor i wanted to be a playwright and he knows this one too that's tina brown mm-hmm. so at the end of the well, actually, before I take us all the way there, let me say, you know, they cleared the high value clues. Youngsheng kicked into gear after this and like really picked up a lot after the daily doubles were off the board. And you could see his face change when it became clear that it wasn't mathematically possible for Andrew to run away with the game. Yeah. You know, when they had just a handful of 800s and 400s left and he'd kept it close enough that Andrew wasn't going to be able to, to, to you know, get past twice 
twice his score. Like I could see like like his shoulders go down a little. Yeah, yeah, um, he was able to breathe again. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Garrett's at 4,800. Young Shang is at 18,600 with, with no, no daily, daily doubles. doubles. That yeah, is that's unbelievable. That's a good score. And Aaron Drew is at 26,600. The final Jeopardy category is business. And the clue is of the big four U.S. airlines, the four that each have over 15% of the domestic market, it's the youngest. Garrett tried what is Delta. And it turns out that Delta is actually one of the older ones. So that's not correct. He's wagered 4,800. He drops to zero. Young Shang figured it out with what is Southwest. And this is, that was the other, I mean, you know, like lots of people fly Southwest and know of Southwest, mm-hmm. but like, I right. think, I think you and I have chatted about Southwest and oh, like, okay, yeah. you know, and I was like, Hmm, I wonder, like, I wonder why, you know, like why, like how he got there. How did he get there? I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's a million ways he could have, but you know, <laughs> so, but he got, he got it correct with what is Southwest. He wagered everything, which I think is too much. Because even if if Garrett goes all in and gets it correct, he'll go up to ninety six hundred. Right. So you want to stay above that. So wager eight thousand one, right? And that'll get yeah. you above Andrew, and yeah. out of Garrett's reach. Yeah, and and yeah, and Andrew is going to drop below Young Shang if he, mm-hmm. if he misses, if he makes a cover bet and misses. Right. I couldn't like I. I, th- I think so because he yeah. needs to wager. Yeah, no, he wager. He needs to wager ten thousand six hundred. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a tough. So he's yeah. gonna drop down to sixteen thousand. So he's gonna, yeah. You need to. I, the right move here is to keep it smaller, but it doesn't matter because Young Shang gets it right. So he he doubles up to thirty seven two hundred, and Andrew also tried what is Delta, and yeah. he made that he made that cover bet of ten thousand six hundred one, dropping him down to fifteen nine ninety nine, and that means that Young Shang comes from second place and gets the finalist spot. So that will bring us into Friday, which is the first game of the finals for the hearts. But before we talk about that, something else happened on Friday. You might be thinking, I wonder why they didn't address this at the beginning of the show when they talked about Jeopardy news. Well, it's because we can't time travel. It is because we cannot time travel yet, Emily, growth mindset, yet. Mm-hmm. and or, or maybe uh, due to a time travel paradox, we can. Who knows, really? You know, that's that's right. We got to keep our options open. But no, to, you know, see how the sausage is made, as I think as Emily likes, that's a term that you like to use a lot. It really like it really gets to the heart of the like disgustingness behind the scenes. We <laughs> record in two halves. We record part of it on Friday and part on Sunday. So we're at the Sunday recording, which means that between the first half of our recording and this session of recording, the news was broken that Mayim Bialik will no longer be hosting the syndicated Jeopardy series. The The verbiage was very interesting. So like Mayim's post, I guess, on her social media was, Sony has informed me that I will no longer be hosting the syndicated version of Jeopardy. I'm incredibly honored to have been nominated for Primetime Emmy for hosting this year, and I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity etc etc like she says a very nice very classy thank you glad to be a part of it loved it like it was great her Mm -hmm. her posting made it very clear though it was not her decision yeah right like very clear sony has informed me and then jeopardy's post was mayim has mayim has announced mayim has announced that she will no longer be hosting jeopardy and then followed it up with we made the decision to go forward with one 
person, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, that first sentence was entirely unnecessary, but also made it seem like it was her choice. Right. <laughs> it just gave me the heebie-jeebies of like, ooh, that just feels slimy, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. I like the way that Ken hosts. I think he does a great job. Mm-hmm. All, all things aside, I'm totally fine with Ken being the host the whole time. Like, yeah. From, from here on out. I, I am totally fine with that. I just, if they just left that one sentence out, I would have no issue, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they just gone with, we made the decision, like, yeah, you did. Okay, that's what you do. Like, we're all on the same page. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have the post in front of me right now, but like, you can also just open with like a, we thank Mayimbot Bialik for a wonderful, how how long has she been doing this? Two seasons? Is it two seasons? Yeah. Has she, yeah. For, of uh, of sharing Jeopardy hosting the, the you know the role of Jeopardy host right um, yeah there like, are, there are ways to... <laughs> it's somebody's job right like you got to think that that person knows how to do it like uh-huh. how to, how to word things in a way that is not bad yeah I don't know. <laughs> and like I think I sometimes give places too much credit for like having like you know enormous teams of like people behind the scenes and and, like you know i imagine like this huge conglomerate when like in reality like it's a it's a you know a small it's an intern yeah (laughs) um you know but like i would i would have assumed that somebody else looked at that you know i feel like it too but i you know who knows i used to i used to work at a church where I think like five or six separate people would proofread the order of worship every week. <laughs> be like, there should be a semicolon here. Why is this one in italics? But this, you know, analogous one is not. So yeah, I just feel somebody, somebody, somebody should have caught that. And if it was intentional, that's a little, I mean, yeah, yeah. but, okay. but we have that news. Yeah, we do. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm here for consistency and I appreciate about Ken that, that he's made Jeopardy his whole personality. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure, yeah. You know, that he like, he really knows this game, you know, mm-hmm. in and out. He understands, you know, all the strategy. He gets it in real time. He knows the trivia. And I feel like he's able to bring a little bit more to hosting in terms of like being able to comment in real time in a way that's helpful and interesting. And, you know, Maya mm-hmm. is obviously a very smart person, but... I think it's fair to say she has less background and experience with Jeopardy than Ken. Which is, in fairness, true about probably anybody. Literally any person on this earth, I think, probably. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, once once Alex passed, it that kind of went to Ken, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. So, so now we, at least, we have that answer. We know that. Yeah. And at the very least, we can see fewer racist and sexist people on Facebook commenting on, you know, on the Jeopardy account <laughs> about the host. All right. <laughs> not, not that that's like the reason to do anything. On the one hand, I'm totally with you. And on the other hand, if the way that we're going to get racism and sexism out of our lives is by giving all the jobs to white dudes, <laughs> maybe that's not the way to go. Sure. But I'm fine. With, I'm fine with Ken taking this over in, in, in its entirety. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. Not going not gonna to argue with you about that. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah. Anyway, notably, it does say the syndicated version. So I believe that that is leaving open the possibility of the primetime specials, Celebrity Jeopardy, 
tournaments, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it might not be that we won't ever see Mayim host again. She may mm-hmm. still be a part of it. Yeah. So that's that's the news from Friday. And here is the, I guess, why we're really here for Friday. And that is game one of the Hearts finals between the contestants, Gary Hollis, a chemistry professor from Roanoke, Virginia, Tyler Vandenberg, a Marine officer currently serving in Stuttgart, Germany, and Yongsheng Wang, a deputy public defender originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. The Jeopardy round categories are country at a letter, not really married, historic documents, musical instruments, double wide, and trailer park. Which is about movies with park. Oh, I missed that it was park mm-hmm. in all of and them. And it's about yes. the trailer. And that, well, yeah, I saw that they were all about the trailers of movies. I also I thought it was interesting that Youngshin called the first one saying, I grew up in a trailer park, so trailer park for a thousand. I thought that was an interesting... You know, I I assume, you know, thoughtful, intentional self-revelation. I wonder if he was disappointed to be like, oh, this isn't actually about trailer parks. (laughs) This is not about trailer parks. (laughs) I've been duped. Yeah. He did Um, get the $1,000 clue, though. Yeah. He also had a funny (laughs) moment at the $600 level in a trailer for this animated feature from 1999. Satan is in bed with Saddam Hussein. And he rang in and you could see him think about what did he need to say? And he went with what is South Park, the movie. And then Ken hesitated for a second, I think, getting a ruling from the judges about whether that was adequate. And he Mm -hmm. said yes, as Youngshan started saying, what is South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut? And Ken was like, yeah, I already said yes. (laughs) (laughs) But still, good good on Youngshan for being thorough. Yeah. I, th- that pause, I was like, oh, are they really going to make him make it awkward? <laughs> like, yeah. No, they they weren't, but... <laughs> I feel like that should have been figured out beforehand. Yeah. I feel like that should have been something that, was, that they're like... That was we, obviously we... <laughs> going to be a question right. in the contestants' we know this... minds. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Not really married at the $600 level. This film legend asks this TV Batman to come up and see her sometime. Tyler tried, who are Michael Keaton and Diane Keaton, which sounded <laughs> like a fine answer to me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Michael Keaton's been a Batman. But in movies, not TV. Right. And Diane Keaton, I think, it, it's, is a film legend, but doesn't match up with that quote. But, you know, I, right. I couldn't remember who either of these people were. And I was like, Oh, good job, Tyler. But, but that was incorrect. Um, yeah. May West and Adam West. But that is like, it's interesting that there is that option yeah. for, you know, two Hollywood people who are not actually a couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that is, that is interesting. Yeah. All right. Daily double number one is in musical instruments at the $800 level. It's pick number eight. Gary gets this one. He's at 2,600 with Youngshin at 2,400 and Tyler at 600. He makes it a true daily double. And his clue is Ricola ads have featured this Swiss horn. And there was a picture. And he correctly responds, what is an Alpenhorn? They also would have taken Alphorn. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Gary is in the lead with 9,400. 
Youngshin is at 6,800. Tyler is getting kind of shut out at 2,000. And the double jeopardy categories are San Francisco Now and Forever, An L of a Team, Waterworld, Flowers, Fictional Languages, and Wish I'd Said That. Jumping ahead to the very, very end of the round, Mm -hmm. they went to San Francisco Now and Forever, the $400 level as their final clue. The Mission Bay neighborhood is home to champions with MLB's Giants in Oracle Park and this NBA squad playing in nearby Chase Center. I struggle with sports a little bit anyway, but I forgot that we were in San Francisco Now and Forever and not in an L of a team with L in quotation marks. (laughs) And I was trying to come up with what NBA team from San Francisco started with L, which I could have puzzled over that one forever because it doesn't. Right, because there's not one. (laughs) Yeah. The Golden State Warriors is the the correct response there. You didn't need to start with L because they weren't in the the L sports teams category. But it is. It always throws me off. Yeah. When it's like a a clue that could very easily fit into another category, especially the one right next to it. Mm hmm. It always floors me how much of a nerd J.R.R. Tolkien was. <laughs> Just like, what a nerd, you know? <laughs> the $1,600 yeah. level of fictional <laughs> languages was Tolkien created this language whose forms include Quenya before writing his books, not the other way around. That's Elvish. He just like made a language, mm-hmm. which I know he, like, he was super interested in language. That was kind of part of why he, kind of what led him to all of these stories was he just, was like i'm gonna come up with a language and he just mm-hmm. made one yeah can you imagine making a language no i cannot i i cannot either the dedication can, can you imagine at the two thousand dollar level of the same category making a language after the unbelievably lazy choice of deciding to call the coveted substance in your film <laughs> franchise unobtainium i mean i imagine the linguist was not he he was like brought in to be like we need you to make a language and then in another room james cameron was like guys unobtainium and everyone else was like we have been spending 10 years on this we don't care what you call it It just, it just, the mismatch, the mismatch. Every time I think about the fact that it's called unobtainium, I get a little bit madder. (laughs) There are so many syllables you could put together. (laughs) Make it a nonsense word. Make it like completely make it up. Make it sound like nothing else. And that would be fine. Yeah. There's a suspension of disbelief that allows us to take like any new made up sound that we're like, oh yeah, that's just a word in that, Mm -hmm. in this universe. But when you make it something that already has a meaning... Uh-huh. And is specifically the opposite of what exactly you're doing because you are like that's the whole point of there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it was it was a clue about Avatar. If if anybody oh. uh, <laughs> It's like what are they talking about? This language in Avatar was created by linguist Paul Farmer and consists of several thousand words. What's the clue? <laughs> Young Shed got it. And Avatar? oh, Navi was the answer. Oh, yes. Also, yeah, of course. Named after, of course, the little sprite in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Ah, uh, of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, Daily Double number two is in flowers <laughs> at the $1,200 level. Uh, it's pick number 14. Gary uncovers it. He is at 13,400, a thousand behind Yangsheng, and Tyler is back at 7,200. 
Uh, he wagers 3,000, gets a clue. Oh, the vanity. These flowers represent egotism, as their mythological name indicates. And he gets it correct. That is Narcissus. And Daily Double number three is at the $1,200 level of Wish I'd Said That. Oh, they missed all of these. <laughs> a spoiler warning, I guess, for the end of this Daily Double. <laughs> they, they missed every single one of these. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of figuring out quips, and they just couldn't quite get there um it's kind of tough it is kind of tough like if it's it's not like an idiom right it's not a thing that people just say yeah 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 you need to figure out how to make the same joke as the as the person who's being quoted unless you happen to know the quote yeah so twelve hundred dollar level of wish i'd said that pick number 20 gary finds it so he finds all three at this point he's tied with young shen at sixteen thousand four hundred. tyler is at eighty four hundred, and he wagers 3,000, and he gets the clue. H.L. Mencken defined Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be this word. I had encountered this quote before, so I knew it. Gary struggles trying to think it through for a little bit and eventually says what is bad. I think it's a solid guess, mm-hmm. right? Puritans mm-hmm. are very concerned, very concerned about you know overseeing other people's morality um Mm -hmm. but but happy is the correct response that the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy it's a good quote yeah (laughs) yeah so he drops down a little bit so going into final jeopardy young shane is in the lead at sixteen thousand eight hundred. tyler's at 8800 and gary is at fourteen thousand six hundred. final jeopardy category is the wild west and the clue is in 1888's ranch life and the hunting trail Teddy Roosevelt wrote his two ranch hands were, quote, able to travel like this animal. Very recent discussion. Mm-hmm. Tyler got it correct. Makes sense. I think he, I don't know. May, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but he seems like he would be a Teddy Roosevelt fan. Yeah. And, that, and he got it correct with what is a bull moose? What is a bull moose? Of course. And he wagered everything. Smart move when you're in third place in a two-day total point affair. So he goes up to 17,600. Gary missed it. He wrote, what is a buffalo? And wagered 8,600. So he drops down to 6,000. Young Shen also missed it and wrote, what is a mule? Wagered 8,800. So he drops to 8,000. So we have like a, a, a like a huge reversal, essentially, of places after Final Jeopardy. Tyler mm-hmm. is in a strong lead now going into game two after coming into Final Jeopardy well in third place. Yeah, and we're going to have to wait until Monday to see how yes. it all shakes out. A real cliffhanger. And that's the end of the week. Almost through the heart's wild card. One more episode. But this is the point in the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can go there to financially support us if that is something you wish to do. Even if you don't wish to do it, you could still could. Yeah. But it's unlikely that you will. You can find some exclusive content on there. I believe we have been fairly diligent about putting quiz questions up right after we record before mm-hmm. the episode goes live. So supporters can go there and practice practice their questions, practice the trivia before, before the episode comes out. <laughs> we also have some other stuff there. <laughs> it's good. We wouldn't put it up if we didn't think it was good. But yeah, patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you feel that your money should be going to something a little bit more important than passion project for a couple of people who 
just want to get back on Jeopardy, then <laughs> you should check out our show notes because we have some real causes to help real people down there. All right, Emily. All right, Kyle. What, what am I talking about? You Enlighten are talking us. about the Rite of Spring. I am not talking about the Rite of Spring. Uh, it, was, it was, ooh, ooh, it was tempting. But I feel like yeah. I've talked about music recently. Maybe well, it hasn't been recently. talking about some of those ballet things, but then I think you didn't. Maybe, I didn't, yeah. Yeah, that was what made me say say the Rite of Spring so confidently, because you'd passed on ballet recently. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's going to go back to it. Okay, what about Krista McAuliffe? Uh, I'm not talking about Krista McAuliffe. All right. Are you going to tell us what's going on with algae? <laughs> no. Uh, cool. But the way you put that actually makes it sound a lot more interesting. <laughs> Let me let me tell you what's going on with algae, okay? <laughs> um, it's going back to the Tuesday game in the animals category, the $800 level. The Chinese Zodiac's 12-year cycle begins and ends with these two three-letter animals. Gary said what are dog and rat, which are in the Zodiac, uh, but it's actually rat and pig. And I was like, you know, I looked into a couple of different options like to kind of gauge how much information and what I really felt like talking about. You had a... Chinese Zodiac question a few deep dives ago. Mm -hmm. And so it's like on my mind. And I was like, you know what? This would be a good opportunity to maybe look into it and get some more like information to be able to really feel a bit more confident about it rather than just be like, I know it's 12 animals. Mm Yeah. (laughs) And And I think I know which ones they are. Also, I will say a little bit of redemption going back to my episodes, my, my, Last win was against Amanda and Bucky. Mm-hmm. Yes. And our final Jeopardy was a triple stumper. The clue is in legend, he called all the animals together, but only 12 came, including a rat and a dragon. We all missed it. In that version, it is the Buddha. But the older origin of that in like Chinese like philosophy and, and like tradition is a different one, which I will talk about in the deep mm-hmm. dive. So it's a little bit of going back to that too. Feel like feel like I want to get there. All right, so we're going to talk about the Chinese zodiac. So it is a a calendar sort of classification system. It assigns an animal and its supposed attributes to each year in a repeating twelve year cycle. Although it originated in China, it has numerous variations, remaining popular in many East Asian and Southeast Asian countries. Um, I'll talk about some of the variations from different countries a little bit later referring to it as a zodiac reflects some kind of superficial similarities to the western zodiac it's divided into 12 parts most of those are names of animals and associated you know ascribing a person's personality or events in their life you know it's astrology it's supposed to have some kind of impact on who they are and what happens in their life. The animals of the Chinese zodiac are not associated with constellations in the way that the western zodiac is and it, like I said, it corresponds to years rather than months. And actually, the term zodiac, I learned today, comes from zodiacus, which is the Latinized form of the ancient Greek zodiacos kiklos, meaning cycle of animals. So actually, the Western zodiac isn't entirely a zodiac because, unless you count humans as animals, because of like Libra and. Well, Libra isn't even an animal or a human. It's like a scales, whatever. So the Western Zodiac isn't actually a cycle of animals because there are a lot of them that aren't animals. I thought that was interesting. Mm. So the Chinese Zodiac traditionally begins with the sign of the rat. I will give the order 
it might be hard to remember now, but as we learn the story, it might be easier to remember. So the first is rat, then ox, then tiger, then rabbit, then dragon, then snake, then horse, then goat and monkey, and then rooster, dog and pig. Now, all of these have like a, a number of different kind of elements that are tied into each one. I shouldn't use the word element because that actually refers to something different, like characteristics or like philosophical notions that go into it. It's each sign has a relation to either yin or yang from, you know, Confucianism and like just traditional Eastern philosophy. Each animal is divided into what is called a trine. So a group of three. So there are four different trines in the Chinese Zodiac. And then in addition to all of that, each sign is also associated with a fixed element, a nature element, those being water, earth, wood, fire, and metal. There, there's so many things attached to it, which I thought was also kind of interesting. The big thing, of course, is the sign and the year, right? The sign represents all of these things that go together and the year that it is associated with. Of course, we need to remember that it is also, for at least the Chinese zodiac, it is fixed to the Chinese calendar. And so Chinese New Year is when the next year starts. For instance, I was born in January of 1989, and I am Year of the Dragon. And my wife, who was born three weeks later, is Year of the Snake because Chinese New Year was, was between our birthdays. How all of these different things kind of line up, I guess mathematically almost, we get these f- four pillars of destiny is what they're called, also like known as Bazi. It means eight characters or eight words. And it's the concept that a person's destiny or fate can be divined by the two sexagenary cycles or cycle characters that are assigned to their birth month year day and hour so the year that you're born the sign all of that plays into your how the the pillars of destiny affect you i'm not going to get into that because that's you know going into other parts of the sex generary system that they have anyway if you look at the sex generary cycle that's like 60 years i guess And it's like through that cycle, each sign with each element, with each yin or yang, with each, you know, character that could go along with it, it kind of like cycles all through that. So it has like a very specific meaning based on that. Anyway, I'm going to get to the trines. So the trines, again, are the like a group of three animals from the from the Chinese Zodiac. The first trine consists of the rat, dragon and monkey. Notice they're not the ones in order, right? Rat is the first one. Dragon is the fifth one monkey is the ninth one so it goes like rat is first trine ox is second trine tiger is third trine rabbit is fourth trine and then we start over dragon is first trine snake is second trine horse is third trine goat is fourth trine and then monkey rooster dog and pick are first second third and fourth Mm -hmm. so the first trine is rat dragon and monkey these three signs are said to be intense and powerful individuals capable of great good who make great leaders but are rather unpredictable The three are said to be intelligent, magnanimous, charismatic, charming, authoritative, confident, eloquent, and artistic, but also can be manipulative, jealous, selfish, aggressive, vindictive, and deceitful. Which is a lot of descriptions, much like as astrology tends to go. It can Mm -hmm. kind of 
fit whatever you want it to be. The second shrine consists of the ox, snake, and rooster. These signs are said to possess endurance and application with slow accumulation of energy, meticulous at planning, but tending to hold fixed opinions. They are said to be intelligent, hardworking, modest, industrious, loyal, philosophical, patient, good-hearted, and morally upright, but can also be self-righteous, egotistical, vain, judgmental, narrow-minded, and petty. The third shrine is a tiger, horse, and dog. These signs are said to seek true love, to pursue humanitarian causes, and to be idealistic and independent, but tending to be impulsive. The three are said to be productive, enthusiastic, independent, engaging, dynamic, honorable, loyal, and protective, but can also be rash, rebellious, quarrelsome, anxious, disagreeable, and stubborn. Uh, and then the fourth trine is the rabbit, goat, and pig. These signs are said to have a calm nature and somewhat reasonable approach. They seek aesthetic beauty and are artistic, well-mannered, and compassionate yet detached and resigned to their condition. The three are said to be caring, self-sacrificing, obliging, sensible, creative, empathetic, tactful, and prudent, but could also be naive, pedantic, insecure, selfish, indecisive, and pessimistic. So that's how the animal signs are grouped based on certain like personality things for those animals and how they can like apply to humans. Of course, there's always like a big thing in, in astrology is compatibility, right? Mm. How does this sign match with that sign? Like, oh, you're an Aquarius? Don't get with a... I don't know anything. Aries? Yeah. I don't know if that's bad. Yeah, I, you know, like, whatever. Like, I saw... <laughs> I don't know if Facebook, like, knew I was... I mean, of course it did when I was looking up Zodiac stuff, but I saw a bunch of stuff, oh, like, no. a bunch of, like, posts. Not, not no, about, like, jokes about yeah. people oh, being, okay. like... All right. I thought you'd like mess up your algorithm. (laughs) No, no, no. It's like like, targeted ads for, for astrology stuff. No, no, no. But, but jokes like, you know, girl runs over me with her car and it's like, Oh, whatever. It's just me. I'm an asparagus, you know, it's like, (laughs) like, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah. Supposedly, you know, each sign has impacts on your personality and thus different signs will interact differently. I'm not going to go through the compatibility grid because it's just a lot. And yeah, like, that's a why would I? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad to know that as a dragon, my wife, who is a, a snake, is an average match. Friendly. Okay. At least it's not a super bad conflict or harmful, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want you to have to, you know, I mean, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty invested at this point. It would be a shame. I know we, we've got two kids. We have, you know, joint bank account. We file, you know, we file our taxes jointly. I can't, I can't find out that I'm not supposed to be with her. Right. Uh-huh, From uh-huh. some astrology. <laughs> anyway, there are a number of stories and fables explaining the beginning of the Zodiac. And then based on the 12 earthly branches and all of that different stories. I I just said earthly branches. Earthly branches may refer to a double hour period. So this is talking about hours rather than years, but the animal signs are also kind of associated with hours of the day. I'm going to try to quickly read through it because I thought it was really curious. So the rat is associated with the period from like 2300 to like 059, right? So like 11 o'clock to one o'clock. Rats are most active in seeking food during that time. Rats also have a number of different digits on front and hind legs, thus earning the rat the symbol of the turnover or new start. The ox is from one o'clock to three o'clock. Oxen begin to chew the cud slowly and comfortably. Tiger from three to five. Tigers hunt their prey more and show their ferocity. Rabbit from five to seven. The jade rabbit is busy pounding herbal medicine on the moon, according to the tale. The dragon is from seven to nine. Dragons are hovering in the sky to give rain. Snake is from nine to 11. 
snakes are leaving their caves. The horse is from 11 to 1 or 1259, I guess, like going into 1300. Uh, the, the sun is high overhead, and while other animals are lying down for a rest, horses are still standing. The goat is from 1300 to 1500. Goats eat grass and urinate frequently. Okay. <laughs> monkeys, the monkey is from 1500 to 1700. Monkeys are lively, which I guess that's a lively time of day. Rooster is from 1700 to 1900. Roosters begin to get back to their coops. Dog is from 1900 to 2100. Dogs carry out their duty of guarding the houses. And finally, 2100 to 2300. Pigs are sleeping sweetly. So the hour of the day also has an impact of like when you were born has an impact on all of that. Okay. The story, this is what I really want to get to because I like this. So the story that my final Jeopardy referred to was in Buddhism. The legend has it that Gautama Buddha summoned all the animals of the earth to come before him before his departure from earth. But only 12 animals actually came to bid him farewell uh, to reward the animals who came to him. He named a year after each of them. And these years were given to them in the order that they arrived. Pretty simple story. That's kind of that's pretty similar in its like bones to the story of the jade emperor which is the the older story and it's referred to as the great race so the story goes that the jade emperor decreed that the years on the calendar would be named for each animal in the order that they reached him to get there the animals would have to cross a river and there's a there's a a number of different variations on like why some animals are in and others aren't but i will I'll read one version of the story. I'll mention some other things from other versions. So the animals set off toward the heavenly gate. Rat and cat were not good at swimming, but they were both quite intelligent. They decided that the best and fastest way to cross the river was to hop on the back of the ox. The ox, being kind-hearted and naive, agreed to carry them both across. And as the ox was about to reach the other side of the river, Rat pushed the cat into the water and then jumped off ox and rushed to the Jade Emperor. And it was named the first animal of the Zodiac calendar. So the ox went second. Another version doesn't mention cat at all. It just says that rat and ox were friends. And so ox allowed rat to ride in his ear. And then when they got across the river, rat being kind of opportunistic, jumped out and dashed to the emperor. And so rat got there first and ox was second. The third one to come was the tiger. Even though it was strong and powerful, it explained to the Jade Emperor that the currents were pushing him downstream. Rabbit came forth. It explained how it crossed the river by jumping from one stone to another in a nimble fashion. So both tiger and rabbit are fast, but tiger was able to swim faster. Fifth place was the flying dragon. The Jade Emperor wondered why such a swift airborne creature as the dragon did not come in at first. The dragon explained that it had to stop by a village and brought rain for all the people, and therefore it was held back. Then on its way to the finish, it saw a helpless rabbit clinging to a log, so it did a good deed and gave a puff of breath to the poor creature so that it could land on the shore. The Jade Emperor was astonished by the dragon's good nature and named him the fifth animal. That's one story. Another story is that good-looking dragon was fifth because... He didn't feel like rushing, I guess. <laughs> and that the Jade Emperor said that his son could be sixth, but the dragon's son didn't come with him that day. Just then, Snake came forward and said Dragon was his adoptive father, so Snake became the sixth. Other versions say that soon after the dragon arrived, you could hear the galloping of the horse. And hidden on the horse's hoof was Snake, whose sudden appearance gave the horse a fright, making it fall back and giving Snake the sixth spot while the horse placed seventh. Another version says that horse and goat arrived together, but they were both very kind and modest and each let the other go first. (laughs) 
so the emp- the Jade Emperor decided, okay, horse is seventh and goat is eighth. All right, let's just get this done with. Other stories say that goat, monkey, and rooster worked together to cross the river. They found a raft, they pulled along, and Jade Emperor was pleased with their team teamwork. Then came the dog. Should have been the best swimmer and runner. It spent its time to play in the water because it's a dog. Also, it needed a good long bath. It almost didn't make it. And then finally pig arrived last the pig felt hungry in the middle of the race so it stopped ate something and then took a nap after it awoke it finished the race <laughs> apparent in some stories cat drowned and this is the reason that cats always hunt rats and also hate water so that's like that's like one version others say that you know rat tricked ox that rat had cheated cat out of its place at the finish line that it had stowed away on the dog's back and then the cat went after the rat but ended up hitting the dog which is why dogs and cats don't like each other there's lots of stuff about cat and rat and dog but that that gives the story of how they how they got in the order that they got korean zodiac uses sheep instead of goat the japanese zodiac uses sheep instead of goat and the wild boar instead of pig since 1873 the japanese have celebrated the beginning of the new year on january 1st as per the gregorian calendar i never really thought about but makes sense the vietnamese zodiac has the second animal being the water buffalo instead of the ox and the fourth animal being cat instead of rabbit cambodian zodiac is almost the same as the chinese except that the dragon is interchangeable with the cambodian sea snake or naga sheep and goat are interchangeable as well there are others of like not like national communities but like ethnic communities like the cham i think I don't know. They're a group of people in Vietnam. They replace the monkey with a turtle. The melee zodiac replaces the rabbit with the mouse deer, which is a cool looking animal, and replaces the pig with the tortoise. Dragon is also possible and possibly a naga sometimes, or sometimes just a big snake. The Thai zodiac includes a naga in place of the dragon. I'm saying naga. So naga is a mythological creature, like a half human, half serpent from various Asian like mythological traditions. There are others. The old Mongol calendar uses the mouse, ox, leopard, hare, crocodile, serpent, horse, sheep, monkey, hen, dog, and hog. Tibetan calendar replaces the rooster with just the bird. There are others like the the Khazars and the traditional Kazakh version has the dragon substituted by a snail. And the tiger is a leopard. There's also a Kyrgyz version. So like I said, there are a bunch. There are a bunch of variations on this, but it's mostly like pretty much always still a 12 year cycle meant to you know give meaning to people's lives that is what i have for the chinese zodiac that is so much more than i knew previously about the chinese zodiac me too and and i really like the story and i'm like that is a story i can remember and will help me like keep it in mind yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah all right are you ready for a quiz definitely sweet they're just it's just kind of things that i thought of as i was looking into this so there's not a super big theme other than all related to like zodiac and chinese zodiac here we go question number one zodiac is a 2007 crime thriller starring three actors who have also featured prominently in the marvel cinematic universe top billing goes to jake gyllenhaal who plays political cartoonist robert graysmith the next two spots investigative journalist paul avery and detective dave toshi are a couple of avengers between the two of these actors they have prominent roles in Good Night and Good Luck, Tropic Thunder, Oppenheimer, Spotlight, 13 Going on 30, and Foxcatcher. For five points, name each of them. 
I may yet ask you for the movies one more time. Sure. Uh, yeah, give, give me the movies one more time. I've got okay. like I'm scribbling notes as we <laughs> trying to like so, piece together. Yeah. Good night and good luck. Mm-hmm. Tropic Thunder. Oppenheimer. Spotlight. Thirteen going on thirty. And Foxcatcher. Okay. Oh, Mark Ruffalo. Okay, you get five points for Mark Ruffalo, because, of course, as an Avenger, he is the Hulk, right? He is uh, the one who's Iron Man. Um, It's Robert Downey Jr. It is Robert Downey Jr. Ah, You got there. there. Hooray. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo both also starred in mm-hmm. Zodiac. And of course, Jake Gyllenhaal played Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. So they, mm-hmm. all three of them, you know, it's good to see that they really moved on to, to bigger and better things. Just kidding. They all, like, looking up Robert Downey Jr.'s, like, history as an actor, especially, is like, wow, he really did do a lot of stuff. And yeah. Mark Ruffalo, like, goes back to the 80s. Like, yeah. Anyway, uh, you have 10 points. Question two. Though we still use the name of Roman gods for the planets... The ancients were just following in the footsteps of those before. The earliest known organized system of astrology is from Babylon. The Babylonian names for the visible planets are mostly parallel to the later Roman deities, including the patron god Marduk for Jupiter and the war god Nergal for Mars. Venus, the planet, was named for what fertility goddess who went by many names in Mesopotamia and had a particular monument in the walled city that still exists. If you need a clue, I can tell you what type, like what the monument is. Like yeah, what tell type me what the monument is. is. It is a gate that was in the walls. Okay. I don't think I know the monument unless there's something that I, you know, that I'm just not connecting. So I will guess the Babylonian mythological feminine name that is coming to me and say Tiamat. Tiamat's an interesting guess. That that is that is interesting. It's not Tiamat. It is Ishtar. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. The, and the Ishtar Gate is still in Iraq. Oh, cool. It's the big like blue tile. Although now now I need to look up is Tiamat are Tiamat and Ishtar the same in some? No, she is a primordial goddess of the sea. Okay. So cool. so Tiamat is kind of like I guess like like Rhea in Greek mm-hmm. mythology, like one yeah. like the mother kind of like nebulous creation goddess. Mm-hmm. All right. That's that's Ishtar. All right, question 3. The five elements of Chinese astrology are water, fire, earth, wood, and metal. The Platonic solids also correspond to five elements: fire, air, water, earth, and what fifth that was thought to comprise the outer intangible celestial spheres beyond our own? I think it's ether. I'm going to guess ether. It is ether. Very nice. I was going to say, if you needed a hint, like there is a, we have an adjective to to Mm, mean kind of intangible based on it. But yes, it is ether. I don't really have more to add to that, except it's platonic solid, but it was like, 
kind of defined by Aristotle, which I guess is nice that he was like, oh yeah, no, it's definitely Plato's. It's not mine. And for, for a long time, it came to be believed that that was just kind of like space, hmm. you know, as, as yeah. we, as we moved on, like we got to understand that like space is out there past kind of our sky or whatever. And so it's like, oh, that's what, what ether is. Now we know better, obviously. All right, nice. You're at 20 points. Question four. Another movie question. It's more about the music. The Great Race is a 1965 slapstick comedy starring Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, and Natalie Wood. The composer for the film is probably better remembered for Breakfast at Tiffany's, Peter Gunn, or The Pink Panther. Who was that fixture of Hollywood music from Little Italy, Ohio? I don't know if I know this person's name. Hmm. Would it help if I included Little Italy because his last name sounds Italian? Hmm. Also, I thought it was really interesting that he's from Little Italy, Ohio. Yeah. A fixture of Hollywood music. I don't know if you're going to be able to puzzle it out. If, if Pink Panther doesn't kind of like Pavlov it, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I don't think I know this person's name. I'm going to pass on this one. Okay, that's Henry Mancini. Oh, I know of that name. He, I, I can see now that I should have made that association. But. Yeah, and it, like he has a very characteristic sound. Like if you if you're watching an older movie and it has a particular like, I don't know, it's hard to describe, right? It's kind of like, yeah. It's very reminiscent of 60s movies, but it has that more of a jazzy feel to it. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to describe. But like once you listen to some Mancini, you kind of get the idea of like, oh, this is his sound. Mm -hmm. But yeah, apparently there was this, I guess, kind of forgettable movie from 1965 that he also wrote for. All right. I made this a tough quiz. Sorry. Uh, Question five. The Chinese Zodiac is a 12-based counting system, like the 12-hour clock or 12-month calendar. What is the word from Latin for 2 and 10 that we use for 12-based counting? Latin for 2 and 10 is dac, like decimal, and 2 is where I always switch Greek and Latin. But I think Greek is by and Latin is duo. So du- mm. I think it must be duodecimal, although that's not sounding super familiar, but I think that's, I'm going to go with it. That was good logic. It is duodecimal. Very right. nice. <sighs> That was really that was impressive. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but yes, it is a duodecimal system. Yeah, I've, I I I remembered the term hexadecimal as mm-hmm. sixteen based, which mm-hmm. comes up in like computing stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oof, well, nice. Was, I got there. You got there. Yeah. All right, you're on to the final, and the final category is children's literature. All right, and I'm at 30, so I guess I'd better wager all of them. I guess you better. I'm dead last right. in Learned League right now also. Uh, <laughs> so it's just not a good... I'm having like a couple, like just not a, a good, a couple of like not so good quizzing months. Rough. But, Very sorry. All right, children's literature well, I, is promising though. 
I, I am hopeful you'll get it back here. Uh, in the great race, the pig was the last to reach the Jade Emperor. The story I read said that it stopped for a snack and a snooze. However, I think it's more likely that she was playing with her friend Gerald, who is an animal that didn't make the Zodiac. What children's author is responsible for their friendship? Mo Willems. Mo Willems is correct. We love... love Gerald and Piggy books. Yes. My kids love Elephant and Piggy. We love Elephant and Piggy. They're easy to read. They're simple to understand. They're fun. Mm-hmm. If you have an early reader, you know, if you have a kid who's who's learned to read, that you can assign them a part because it's almost mm-hmm. all dialogue. Mm-hmm. Or you can, you know, you can read it, you know, like with your with your spouse, co-parent taking parts. I, I love Gerald and Piggy books. They're very fun read-alouds. They're fast. They are. Do you have We Are in a Book? No, but sounds great. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great. It's so meta. <laughs> I I believe it. I my yeah. yeah. My yeah. kids would love it. They're very fourth wall breaking. Yes. Anyway, cool. You got 60 points. Woo. That's 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 good. That's respectable. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was this was fun. Although <laughs> I I stumbled a little on your on your excellent quiz. <laughs> It was a good quiz. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Taken poorly. <laughs> yeah, but hey, we we worked it out in the end. And we all know so much more about the Chinese Zodiac than we used to. So that that's awesome. And thanks listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. Our Patreon where Kyle is about to post the quiz questions if he hasn't already is patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who like jeopardy tell them about our podcast you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one our, our email address is potent at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. that's right and we will be back next week with more jeopardy and until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker 